Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go and give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to and loving the Tome Show for years, weeks, months, whatever it is, go and give us a rating because that one rating will help us out a ton. It will take less than one minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review comes from listener Yurlock. Yurlock says... The Tome Show Podcast Network is an excellent way to get up-to-date info on many of the best RPG products out there, as well as tips for players and GMs. D&D V&G is excellent for video game reviews, and the roundtables are usually very entertaining while being informative. Scott, thank you for putting up with all your players' craziness over the years. The D-level beholder joke will never get old, though. (laughs) What a... What a classic joke, that old D-level beholder joke that everybody knows about. Well, thanks, your lock. See that? If you leave a review, you can give your friend, loved one, or a significant other a shout-out right here on the Roundtable Podcast. You rock, your lock. Your friends are lucky to have you. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick for Noble Knight for this episode is the out-of-print sword and sorcery Ravenloft campaign setting book, which is available for a mere 35 bucks from Noble Knight. It is a 3E D20 system compatible book. You can easily bring Ravenloft into your 3.5 or Pathfinder game with, or you could just use the delicious fluff inside in any system. Check it out at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Hello, I'm RPG podcasting celebrity James Intracasso. As you know, my life is awesome. My gaming collection is filled with out-of-print goodies no one else can seem to get their hands on. I have plenty of free time to record podcasts, write blog posts, play games, and hunt the most dangerous game. I have tons of extra cash, which is evident in my caviar-filled swimming pool for the guest house of my third home in the Swiss Alps. And my mother is proud of me because I managed to do all this while supporting small businesses. My secret? NobleKnight.com. A brick-and-mortar game store that has a great online presence. So I feel good shopping there, but I can buy anything, anytime, just by walking to my computer. I don't even need to put on my gold-plated pants. At Noble Knight, they have new and out-of-print products at a discounted price to give me more cash for reckless celebrity activities like bear shaving. And Noble Knight will buy back the old products I'm not using anymore, which funds my tiger shaving. So, if you want more money, more free time, a better game collection, and a better you... Check out noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. 
And tell them Big Jimmy from the Tome Show sent you. Today, we're talking with the D&D Adventurers League admins about the Curse of Strahd storyline, and then it's an interview with Ross Watson about his Kickstarter to bring back Aaron Alston's Strike Force. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Who are you, and what do you do for the Adventurers League? And with me is Robert Aducci. Robert, who are you, and what do you do for the Adventurers League? Um, I'm a native-born Athasian, and uh, I, uh, I'm the community manager for the D&D Adventures League. Nice, nice. A native-born Athasian. That's right. I like Dark that. Dark Sun all the way. Ah, nice, nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Bill Benham is with us tonight. Bill, who are you, and what do you do for the Adventures League? Well, I am the uh, resource manager for the Adventures League, and I am a small warforged whose legs don't work. Oh, oh, what a great character concept. I love it. I love it. And uh, Travis Woodall is with us tonight. Travis, who are you and what do you do for the Adventurers League? I am the content manager. Um, I've heard of Athas, so I know what Dark Sun is. And I've seen little miniatures of Warcorn, so I know what those guys are. Um, I'm a bard without a tongue. Oh, nice, nice. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Disturbing. (laughs) And uh, Greg Marks is also with us. Greg, who are you and what do you do for the Adventurers League? Uh, I'm the associate, one of my associate resource manager, and I run an all-female mob out of Lake Geneva. Oh, nice, nice. Yep. <laughs> that sounds considerably, like, much better than, than everybody else's job. <laughs> so, good for you. You're one up in the world. Um, and, of course, we should mention there are, uh, you guys are four of six uh, who have a very, very huge job to do. Um, you guys do an amazing, amazing job organizing everything over at the Adventurers League. So, we are all in your debt for that. Uh, thanks for the awesome experiences. And now we're going to be talking about the upcoming experience of Curse of Strahd. Um, so, Robert, you were on this podcast two weeks ago, but uh, let's just briefly go over some of the changes for Season 4 of the Adventurers League, because I know this one's kind of a big one um, going forward. The biggest thing about the season itself is that um, all of the adventures are going to be much more tightly linked than, than they have been in the past. It's not going to be required that you play them, you know, in order, but it's going to, I think it's just going to make a better story. So, you know, we really encourage people, stores and conventions and home games to, uh, to definitely play them, um, play them in order. Awesome. Awesome. And so when we're talking about this storyline, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Curse of Strahd takes place kind of um, in Barovia. Uh, so do the PCs start in the realms? Do they start in Barovia? Uh, how does the storyline tie into characters who might have been, you know, in previous storylines as part of the Adventurers League? Um, well, ideally, uh, you know, just the nature of the demiplane itself, you know, the folks come from uh, uh, other places and kind of get sucked into it. So, we're going to kick a little old school and go back to uh, some some familiar stomping grounds in Flan and, you know, see what happens from there. Nice. So then I guess we can assume that all of the adventures don't take place in Barovia, but is it, are you there for most of the time if you play the adventures in order? Yeah, yeah. Most of it's going to take place in, in Barovia. 
So let's discuss this fact then, that once your PC enters Barovia, uh, you can't play another adventure with that PC until that PC figures out a way to leave Barovia. Yeah, that's pretty much one of the standard sort of Ravenloft tropes, and we wanted to honor that. And it worked really well with this particular season with our idea that maybe a little different from some of the ways we've done it in the past, we're going to have a really tight story where one follows another. So it made sort of sense to go with that for Ravenloft. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I feel like the mists are almost a, a character in themselves and that they sort of lock you into this location. It's very, very cool. So what do you guys think are some of the coolest adventures coming up that people should look forward to and, and get their hands on to play? You know, for one coming out, you know, Sean always does a great job of the intro adventures. And I think this season is, uh, is no different. Um, so I think for one is really, really going to be cool. And uh, we should mention, right, that that now if you guys go back and listen to Roundtable 102, you can hear Robert talk extensively about kind of the changes that are coming up. Anybody can get their hands on that adventure through the DMs Guild, right? Yeah. That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so then what else? Is there anything else that people should be looking for? I, obviously, uh, like I know some of you guys are writing adventures too, right? So what are what are some of the other cool adventures people should look forward to? I'm going to put mine aside. So I'm writing 414, The Dark Lord, sort of the finale. Yeah. Uh, but So putting that one aside, the one I'm perhaps most excited about is uh, 410, The Artifact by Teos. Nice. He's uh, written a number of our previous adventures. But what I really like about this one is there's sort of a reveal in this one that brings back something from third edition age. People who are paying close attention will notice something kind of obscure that we've updated for 5e. He's a great adventure writer, too. So uh, I like the intrigue there in that statement. I'm very excited to see what's coming out. So if if people want to get involved right in the Adventurers League this season, um, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about the DMs Guild and, and stuff like that. It's not that we've moved away from game stores. Um, this sort of new structure of buying these adventures from the DMs Guild, uh, do you guys see this as better or worse for game stores? Um, it's really up to the game store, you know, how they want to handle it. Um, I think that it really is going to let game stores, um, as well as conventions, kind of really show what kind of community they have and, you know, if, if the game store has great community, then people are going to want to play there. Um, you know, now that the content isn't necessarily exclusive, um, you know, as long as they, you know, as long as they're having, you know, great DMs and um, good location and, you know, just great atmosphere, then people are going to want to play there. So I think that it's uh, it's still good for game stores. They're still going to get uh, a lot of people coming to play there for, you know, for their community. Totally. They've always been really a, a great hub for this kind of thing. And I think it's awesome that now people who maybe don't have access to a game store have access to these adventures. And it sounds like it's also better for the people writing the adventures as well. Oh, definitely. For sure. if, if, if you're talking about uh, someone who's really putting a lot of energy and effort and, uh, and commitment into writing something amazing, then yeah, it's, it's, uh, that effort is going to be uh, repaid. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice that they won't, you know, see their adventure going for a lot of money on eBay that they won't actually see any of. So, <laughs> uh, so the Curse of Strahd adventure that, you know, Chris Perkins is writing, is that part of the Adventurers League play this season? 
So it is. It is not. Uh, it's not like from from four one through through four fourteen. But but uh, you know, folks are going to be able to definitely sit down in stores or at home and play that. It's actually part of the uh, of the hardcover. And I can say from playtesting that that it. Um, I think Chris Perkins really uh, really outdid himself with <laughs> uh, with what they've got planned in that uh, in that adventure. They have a the kind of a like a haunted house vibe going on to, to get folks kind of into it. And it is, uh, it is truly creepy and it is, it is definitely, uh, it is definitely a lot of fun. It had my attention throughout. And I should note that my character was murdered uh, in the face by one Christopher Lindsay during the play test of that adventure. So it was, uh, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but it was, it was definitely an awesome ride. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to get the full story of how that happened once more people have actually played the adventure, uh, because that sounds like a hilarious tale. It uh, was, it was, it was rich. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, uh, what are these adventures, um, you know, like what, what, uh, how is the feel of these adventures, these sort of Ravenloft adventures? Uh, I'd say one thing that, I, I know has been previously mentioned, when you think about Barovia, everything really does sort of still revolve around Strahd, and it's not different in our adventures. Uh, you're not going to run into Strahd, but instead, the stories in Barovia really are about those people who have had their lives turned upside down by this vampire. And so, in this case, we've got a villain who wanted something from Strahd and didn't get it, and so now they've decided to do something about it. But in turn, a bunch of other villains who are in one way or another related to Strahd get involved. And so you, you sort of see how, even though you're not likely to run into him in these low level adventures in the first couple, his sort of tentacles reach out and touch everything. And it's still got that very Gothic horror feel to it. And it's worth noting that when you finish this, uh, you know, the chain of adventures that we're putting together, you can jump right into the hardcover and eventually go and, you know, face Strahd yourself. So it's not like you're going to be denied that, but I think it gives a great, uh, um, like Greg was just saying, it gives a great, you get to feel his influence and then eventually if you want to try and take him on and you have to listen to sisters of mercy the entire time <laughs> that you do it to give yourself that appropriate you know feel see but i've had typo negative on repeat like for the last <laughs> <laughs> nice. it's uh i mean it's amazing to see uh ravenloft back and i I, one of the things i love about barovia is right um like you said strahd is kind of central to everything but i also like the fact that over the years it has become a richer deeper you know even a larger place um so it's awesome that you know we yeah we have this hardcover right that focuses on the adventurers facing down with Strahd, but then there will be all of these other adventures that take place in the world of Barovia that are influenced by him, but maybe you're not facing him directly. Um, And I love that because I think the whole world is awesome and it gives you sort of this rich experience that you can dive deep into some gothic horror, which is nice. So now that the DMs Guild is open, what are you guys looking for potential Adventurers League adventure writers to submit? Uh, what's kind of catching your eye, and and what are you looking for there for people to come join the team? One one thing we're looking for is uh, kind of technical proficiency. So um, I know that sounds I don't know boring, 
But uh, one thing that especially makes Travis happy is uh, when when folks oh. can put together <laughs> when, <laughs> when folks can put together an adventure that. Uh, that, that follows kind of the, the guidelines and the formatting and, and kind of the technical details that need to go into writing. Again, it's not, it's not sexy, but it makes, it makes the process a lot smoother if folks are able to do that. And it allows a lot more focus to be spent on the kind of the richer, the, I'm going to go back to sexy. Well, again, <laughs> the sexier aspects of writing uh, the adventure and no matter what folks choose to write, whether it's like a dungeon crawl or, you know, a, a more socially oriented adventure is as long as it's uh, it's kind of executed with uh, some flair and originality. That's that's kind of what we're looking for. And there I mean, I think it is a great chance because there's really, you know, if you write a great adventure and put it on there, you're going to be rewarded in some way. Right. Somebody's going to oh, yes. buy it. People are going to notice. Oh, yeah. It. So, um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's an awesome thing and an awesome way for you guys to be scouting out talent now. It just sort of expands everybody's chances. So that's great to know that uh, technical proficiency is one of the things that you're looking for. Robert also mentioned that the last time he was on, uh, which is great because it is, you know, um, it is more than creative writing. It is really design, uh, game design, mm-hmm. too. Uh, so just for fun, then, let's go around the table. What's... PCs will you be playing in this Curse of Strahd storyline? Uh, and why don't we start with you, Robert? Since we'll probably have to start over, I actually do want to play a bunch of these and run them. Um, <laughs> but I will probably have to make a new character because my season one character that I would like to play is, uh, you know, upper tier. Um, and so so I'll, I'm going to be making someone new. Um, I'm not sure what exactly, but something probably based out of the Sword Coast Adventures guide. Nice. And uh, what about you, Bill? Well, I had this amazing monk that I had uh, I had come up with, and I was I hadn't played a monk in fifth edition yet, and I had this whole thing. He was going to be kind of this, you know, surly kind of friar tuckish kind of guy, and then he died, so <laughs> he didn't even get a chance to make it all the way to Barovia. Um, so. I now I I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking about resurrecting a character, uh, a cleric of mine that I've I've played in one incarnation, other since like third edition. But I'm not sure. Hopefully he won't die too. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and how about you, Travis? What are you playing in this storyline? Um, like Robert, I'm gonna have to start over from scratch. But these are adventures I want to play in. So, um, I've been tinkering around with a like a fighter wizard after. Plate wearing, big weapon swinging guy. Nice magic <laughs> spells. <laughs> nice. <Eight. Yeah. laughs> and uh, how about you, Greg? Yeah, I also need to start a new character. I've <laughs> actually spent so much time thinking about the development of the plot of this uh, particular season that I hadn't really come up with a good character. Uh, Barovia is usually so social and investigative. I might bust out a rogue mastermind from Sword Coast Adventures guy. Nice. Very fun build. Yeah, it's an awesome build. So I hear you, and I heard Robert, too, mention the Sword Coast Adventures guide. Uh, Will that be legal for uh, Adventures League play this season? For season four, yes. For season four, yes. Yeah, Uh, you know, Mike Merles has said there's not going to be any sort of companion PDF or or anything like that, so... For season four, it'll just be player's guide or player's handbook and Sword Coast Adventures guide. If you want to make something in there, 
Oh, that's cool. That's really, really cool that they get to use that book again. Uh, so that's going to be super, super fun for people. Uh, so if people want to find out more about the Adventures League, how can they get involved and when can they finally get their hands on some of these adventures? So, um, you know, if you want to find out more, we're always on uh, dndadventuresleague.org. Um, we're on Twitter at dnd, uh, the letters underscore ADV League. Um, and then we're on Facebook and Google Plus. You can just search for D&D Adventures League. Um, and as far as when you can get the adventures, uh, the first adventure is kind of, you know, premiering at uh, at Winter Fantasy and then should be available in March. Uh, then there's three three or four premiering in March that should be readily available in, uh, in April for everybody. So uh, we've got, I think, two or three every month. Uh, so there should, you know, they'll, they'll be rolling out on a regular basis. That's awesome. And you can see uh, a lot of names of people that who uh, are some really, really great designers uh, working on these things, um, including some of our very own admins. Uh, so thank you guys for uh, for working on this. We're certainly going to link all of the information in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. You know, people can definitely find out more, but I'd also like to link contact information for all of you guys. So where can you be found on the Internet? Uh, let's start with you, Robert. You know, in all those places I mentioned earlier, but also on uh, Facebook, you can just search for me. And on Twitter, I am Radu76. It's R-A-D-D-U-7-6. And what about you, Bill? Uh, I am also on the Book of Faces. I am uh, Bill Benham, and usually my – because there are several Bill Benhams, I guess. But uh, <laughs> usually my picture is uh, is a pug of some sort or something uh, equally uh, – ridiculous so if you see that particular bill benham you've probably found the right one and i'm you know i'm on the uh, the different facebook uh different facebook groups and then on twitter i am bill benham too because i screwed up the first one so <laughs> <laughs> uh, and travis where can people find you on facebook um there's another travis woodall that lives like one town over but he's not me mm. uh <laughs> Um, I'm also on Twitter at Travis Whittle. I have 70 whole followers now. I'm Ooh, racking what? them up. I know it's it's a kind of a big deal now. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I used I sent a tweet like four months ago, um, and I haven't sent one since. But uh, eventually, I'll probably notice it again. Um, I, I had to pull it up before uh, tonight to make sure I had my username right. So. <laughs> yeah, so Facebook, um, usually arguing with people about bark skin and katanas yep. and <laughs> stuff like that. Classic. All very necessary activities. Oh, I'm totally, absolutely. <laughs> and Greg, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Greg Marks, M-A-R-K-S. Uh, on Twitter, I have 74 followers. Thank Ooh. you, James, for helping me out. Nice, uh, Travis. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at Scarrett the Green, it's S K E R R I T seven H three G R E E N. Thank you, like I said, so much for everything you do. Um, I think you probably work harder on D and D than anyone. I hope that we will talk to all of you again when the next storyline comes out. Where you know, if you wanted to announce it right now on the podcast. That would be totally fine if you just wanted to say what it was. That'd be cool. <laughs> so, I like my job. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Now we're going to roll an interview with uh, Ross Watson and talk to him about his Kickstarter to bring back the campaign setting of Strike Force. Okay, everybody. Now I am here with Ross Watson. Ross is a game designer with a storied history that we are going to get into in just a moment. And he is also here to talk about his Strike Force Kickstarter campaign. Ross, welcome to the roundtable. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. So I'm wondering, Ross, uh, what is your background? Tell the people out there. Let them know what it is you do. Oh, well, I am a game designer, writer, developer. I pretty much wear a lot of hats. And I've been in the gaming industry for about 16 years now. I've worked on a bunch of stuff in the D20 industry all the way up to, I think, probably I'm most famous for running the Warhammer 40K roleplay line at Fantasy Flight Games, working on uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire. And most recently, I, I... I published a, a Savage World setting, a dark fantasy setting called The Cursed. And uh, actually, we're doing a, a second, we're doing a Cursed uh, World Book Kickstarter for more books for that setting right now, as a matter of fact, with my good friends John Dunn and uh, Jason Marker over at Melier Via Publishing. I'm also the managing director of Evil Beagle Games with my partner Sean Patrick Fannin and Corinne Seabolt. And the three of us, uh, we've been involved in a lot of stuff for Savage Worlds like. Shintar, which is a fantasy, a high fantasy setting, and of course the uh, forthcoming Savage Rifts. Nice, nice. So you have had your hands in a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of properties out there people would know. I would say the Edge of Empire uh, Star Wars role-playing game is one of the most lauded Star Wars role-playing games there is out there. Uh, Warhammer 40K, you've worked in a lot of Savage Worlds properties, so um, you are clearly no stranger to the industry. What is your latest project that you've got coming up here, Strike Force? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So back in the early 90s, I was getting involved in a role-playing game called Champions. This was the Hero System, the fourth edition with a big blue book. And it really just kind of blew my mind. It was full of all these great uh, – it was full of a lot of great ideas, especially for a game designer because the system actually wants you to build things as you go. So it's, it's, it's made for tinkerers, you know, people who want to kind of understand the mechanics. And one of the supplements for this was a book called Strike Force, which it came out in 1988. So just one year before the big blue book hit the shelves. And this book was called Strike Force. It was written by the late, great Aaron Alston. And this was to me like a revelatory thing because it was not just a, a, a supplement for your role-playing game, which had some bad guys in it, which, I mean, that was most of what those things were in the late 80s, early 90s. It's like, here's a bad guy book. <laughs> but this was actually, a, it was a setting book, and the, the most important part, it was actually a campaign book. It told you, this is one of the first books ever, that told you how to run a campaign successfully for a long term. It was the first book that kind of said, players, different players have different expectations of things they want to get out of the game. It was the first book that told you how to ruin your campaign in 10 easy <laughs> steps, right? Aaron really opened the door uh, to a lot of things that we th- we now take for granted in our, our DM guides and our game master guides about uh, the social contract and how things are supposed to work between the GM and the players and how you're supposed to reinforce the themes and the tropes of your campaign over time. This was the first one that did that. And so it made a big impact on me and a lot of other people. And uh, then I was talking to Aaron, uh, actually the year he died, which uh, I believe was 2012. And he was telling me, he's, I'm working on a new version of Strike Force. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, Aaron passed. And 
you know, it was a, it was a big blow because he was a really good friend of me. He was a very uh, inspiring figure in the gaming industry and in the, the Star Wars area, of course, because he wrote a bunch of Star Wars books. Totally. And uh, the thing was, we, we were always, the friends of Aaron were like, we need to get together and, and honor, you know, his, his legacy and make this book happen because he was, he was actually working on it. He was halfway done, right? So my friend, Jason Walters, who owns High Rock Press, he managed to go down to Texas, uh, spoke to the family, picked up all of Aaron's notes and basically made the deal to be able to make Strike Force a new reality. And he got in touch with me and actually through Sean Fannin. Uh, who is also you know a big hero games guy from back in the day, and they worked out a deal where Evil Beagle would be the developers of the project, and and when we talked about who we wanted to write, like you know get in and do the lion's share of the actual uh, typing things out on paper work, only one name came to mind, and that was Michael Serbrook. Now Mike Serbrook, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, is a very creative and talented guy, but he also is the torchbearer for the hero system. Uh, since the late 90s, he has always been the guy on the sidelines cheering him on. He got to write some books for Hero Games as well, uh, some really good ones, some really good books. But this is finally, you know, we were like, this is the guy to do this. So we gave all, we had like 800 megs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking a lot of notes. <laughs> some of these are scans of handwritten notes. Some of these are, are Aaron's, you know, manuscripts uh, that he was working on. The guy was a meticulous note taker. So, so I gave all of this material to Mike Serbrook and I'm like, take the time you need research it, figure it out. Let's get down to, to find out what Aaron was planning to do. And then we'll build, we'll build that book, but we're going to do more. We're going to build it bigger. And <laughs> the funny part is Mike Serbrook, when he gets into this, right, the first email he sends me is a quote from the guy who opened King Tut's tomb. <laughs> I mean, that's how he felt about it. Like, this is, this is amazing. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I want to correct myself. Aaron died in uh, 2014, not 2012. It was uh, February 27th, 2014 is when he died. So Serbrook got into it. He spent about... I want to say six weeks just digging into each little nook and cranny. And that's when we said, okay, we have our plan. We're going to make this book happen. That, that was late last year. It was like uh, August, September. And now we've started the writing. Serbrook's like 90,000 words into it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> He's written like three chapters. We got uh, Dennis Lubay, one of the original players in the Strike Force campaign and the original cover artist. He's come in and he's also – he was a, a very close friend of Aaron, one of Aaron's roommates. He's been kind of fact-checking us as we go. He's been looking at everything. You know, would Aaron approve of this? And Dennis has given us his full stamp of approval. We've gotten nothing but uh, good things from him and the family. So we're really, really excited to bring this book out because not only is it a tribute to Aaron, but it is an, a chance to introduce all of those techniques and ideas that Aaron had about running superhero campaigns to a brand-new generation of gamers – if somebody wants to run a kick-ass long-term superhero game, if they want to learn all the little tricks about how to make a game memorable and just just come alive, that's what Strike Force is going to do. And that's an incredible legacy uh, that you guys are allowing him to carry on. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people might know him. He wrote a lot of novels for the Star Wars Expanded Universe, like you mentioned. Um, you know, and he's had uh, all kinds of accolades, too, in the role-playing game world, uh, which he's probably lesser known by many people for, but I'm sure our listeners know him for for that. So it's wonderful that he is the inspiration uh, and kind of the reason for you guys uh, bringing this project to bear. And now, of course, we have all these awesome names on it. It sounds like it's a project that would make Aaron very proud. Um, what are you planning on including in this book? Why should people come and check it out? What are they going to get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. We 
we dug into finding out what the strike force setting was like. Okay. And a lot of superhero settings out there will give you like a cool city or a cool, you know, basic idea of how to run uh, some superheroes in a, in a particular part of the country. And that's fine. And some of them are fantastic books. Strike force, however, has been developed through play. <laughs> Aaron ran this campaign for over 22 years. And what that means is uh, the strike force setting is a multiverse. It stretches to some amazing places, alternate dimensions like earth Kaiser where world war II never ended. Uh, he, he does, like the orbital justice league uh, approach with, with one team of strike force. And then he has uh, uh, other teams of superheroes, you know, patrolling the streets in, in Gotham, basically. You, so it's, it's a vast and really interesting setting that goes over a lot of different tropes and themes about comic books. Like for a long time, Aaron ran his game where there was actually like an alien suppressing all the high tech equipment that superheroes would come up with so that the world didn't change. And then Strikeforce found out about it, confronted that guy, and took him down. So now the world, like the world is just accelerated into an era of, you know, personal jetpacks and teleporters and crazy. <laughs> so all of this stuff is actually happening in part of the start the, the Strikeforce universe. So yeah, it's it's a it's a kick-ass setting book. That's one part of it. Another part of it is it's going to have that campaign stuff that I was talking about, the GM advice, the, the what I like to call the strike force method. We're actually bringing in Steve Kenson, who I'm sure you know is a of big course, name, yeah, yeah. big name in superhero gaming. This, <laughs> this, this guy pretty much wrote the book like three or four times. <laughs> and Steve, you know, of course, was highly influenced by Aaron and Strike Force, so he's he's loving the chance to come in and write about uh, GMing techniques that that Aaron pioneered. So we're going to have a, a big section on that. We're going to show the characters of Strike Force, and we're going to show them not again, not just as an enemies book, like here's some dudes to fight, but it's going to it's going to be a, a way for a guy to look and see like what happened, where that character started, and where they ended 22 years later, what changed, what their what their arc was like, and I think that's really going to be interesting to people to see uh, the evidence, the uh, the historical record, if you will, of this 22 year old campaign. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, again, for me, like, I think the part that I'm most excited about presenting is, uh, is Aaron's words, his very wise words on, you know, here's the things that I did wrong in my campaign. Here's the mistakes I made and how I fixed them. Here's the techniques that really seem to work and how my players uh, stayed engaged and stayed active and stayed happy and interested for 22 years. And uh, there's a lot of really great ideas in there. I've stolen tons of them from my own games. I mean, I could... <laughs> I could talk forever about that stuff, about the ways that I've used those ideas in my games. But um, we're, we're taking that same stuff that Aaron did, right? And we're basically putting our own riff on it. Like Steve's going to put his riff on some of the things that Aaron was talking about with one technique. I'm going to put my riff on it. Uh, so we're, we're presenting as much of Aaron, Aaron's words as we can, but we're also adding some new stuff from authors like myself, Sean Fan and Mike Sorbrook, Steve Kenson. And it's, it's going to be pretty – I, I think it's like I said, it's going to be a great eye-opening experience for people who just don't have a superhero-oriented campaign guide like that. I don't think there really is one, no. and I think that's I think it's where Strike Force is going to jump in and, and 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 refill that same niche that it did in 1988. Yeah, it sounds amazing. It sounds like when you know a comic book universe has 22 years of comics behind it. Exactly. You know, <laughs> actually, you know, we we totaled it up, and if you look at all the sessions of Strike Force, it's basically like. 400 issues of the Avengers. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I mean, that's basically the types of storylines we're talking about and the types of change. So that, you know, think about that 400 issues. God, yeah. That's, 
It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's true because if you think about it, right, comic books, well, a comic book line has, what, 12 issues a year? Maybe 13 if there's, like, an annual or something yeah, like that? typically, yeah. Uh, so that's that's not – we're not just talking about 22 years in comic book terms. We're talking about way, way, way more. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's awesome. That's, that's really, really cool. Again, that you guys are continuing this legacy uh, of Aaron is amazing. It's great. Steve Kenson on board, you know, he's written – Mutants and Masterminds 30 times over, it seems like. Uh, and Don't it, forget about icons. Oh, that's right. That's right. So what What do I need uh, in addition to the Strike Force book, the manual that you're putting out? What will I need to play in the universe? Well, the thing is most – I think the majority of the book is system agnostic because it, it really – the description of the setting and what happened and the characters, the, the basic the parts of the characters – uh, which there's a lot of history. Like each character has like, you know, here's where I came from. Here's where I ended up. And then of course the big GM section, those are all pretty much system agnostic, but to, to honor the original strike force, we're publishing the book as a hero system product. So it is oriented towards champions players for, for the, the sections that do have rules. However, part of the Kickstarters, we're offering people a chance to get mutants and masterminds, savage worlds, icons, versions of those character sheets so that they can slot them right into their game if they want. I'm thinking that pretty much anybody who plays any superhero RPG, you know, I don't care if it's Bash or Prowlers and Paragons or uh, you know, D- DC U- uh, Universe, is it DC Universe? Uh, I think Marvel, so, yeah. Marvel, Marvel Hero, Hero. Yeah, yeah. Any of those games. If you play any of those games and you just want to like find ways to make your campaign more awesome, that's Strike Force is going to be that book for you. Now, you know, the, the characters they're going to be in, in the, the the stats for them or in the book are going to be for champions, and we're but we're offering all these other. Uh, systems as well. If you guys, this is what I'll say. If you, any of the listeners out there want a specific rule set that I haven't mentioned for these characters, please come on our Kickstarter and mention it and see, and, and you never know. I mean, there, there's a chance we have a lot of talented gamers on our staff. There's a chance one of us would be like, Oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. <laughs> yeah, please, please just come talk to us and tell us what you think. Uh, you want to see those characters uh, statted up in and we'll work it out. That is really, really, really cool. And since you mentioned it, let's get into the Kickstarter. <laughs> so uh, if all goes well, this podcast is dropping the same day your Kickstarter launches. Uh, so we can't comment on to the uh, raucous success that you guys have had so far. But it's there. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter. What do people get? What can they get by contributing to this Kickstarter? Well, the, the main goal is that they are going to get the copy of the book. We're, as a matter of fact, as soon as, you, as soon as you back the Kickstarter, we're planning to show you a work-in-progress layout with the first uh, – at this point, I think, first three chapters. I'm actually laying it out like right now as we're recording this uh, January 13th. <laughs> I'm working on laying out those sample chapters. Uh, so, so the backers get instant access to a work-in-progress copy of the book. The, uh, the idea is we're going to have the, the full PDF available. We're going to have a, a print run that uh, Jason Walters is doing through uh, Indie Press Revolution. So if you want a print version of the book, you're going to be able to pick that up. One of our stretch goals that we're aiming for that I'm really excited about is actually a fiction book. Now, Aaron, you mentioned earlier, you know, he's a novelist. And he had some unpublished short stories for Strike Force. Yeah, I know. No <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, for real. He had like three stories that he'd written for Strike Force he'd never published before. And we're like, this is a great opportunity. And we've rounded up a bunch of really awesome authors, guys that write great superhero uh, fiction, guys like Mel Odom, Richard Lee Byers, Bill Coffin, and 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 we're hoping to get even more. We're we're like we signed on like quite a few guys, but the plan is to get these guys to write a 
book of short stories that are all set in uh, Aaron's world. If we can hit that stretch goal, then we can have that book come out and you can read all these fantastic stories that Aaron wrote and these other guys wrote. Uh, we have stretch goals that add on to the universe because Aaron had uh, all kinds of material in that in that set of notes. We're talking about um, a place, a thing called the Circle in Medi, which is this uh, uh, alien research institute and a group of super powerful wizards, like the Doctor Strange Council, if you will, if you want to think of it that way. And these guys watch over the Earth. He's got a, a one called the the Blood, which is these these alien uh, overlords that have sort of been pulling the strings on Earth for years. Things like that. And we've got all this material. And one of the add-ons that I think is fantastic. If you're just a guy like me and who, who's a fan of Aaron, or who's just a big uh, a big uh, a goober for uh, RPG history, if you just love like I want to I want to see history, we'll we'll give you that 800 mags of notes. What? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give you access to all the, the we, we're calling it the Aaron Alston Archive. And if you, if you want access to the Aaron Alston Archive, we'll, we'll put it on there. It's an add-on for the Kickstarter. So, um, like, all of that stuff is, is definitely there. Um, Dennis LeBay, the cover artist, he'll draw your character at a certain level. Oh, my and goodness. And he's badass. Go check out Dennis LeBay. <laughs> we're going to have a special game at ChupacabraCon with Dennis LeBay. Um, I'll be running the game uh, Sean Fannin will be in the game, so you'll be there with one of the original Strike Force players as well as some of the guys who worked on the book. And uh, we've got levels that, I mean, I don't want to get too much more into it, but we have lots of cool stuff. I mean, please come check us out, and uh, and, and we appreciate your consideration and coming from this, this podcast. Thank you very much, James, for letting us get, get a chance to talk to the people about this great project. Oh, totally, totally. Well, uh, you know, I'm actually uh, getting a little teary here as you're talking about Aaron. Uh, it's just, it's a great tribute, you know, uh, to him as well that you guys are, are putting this out there. There's a lot of love going into this thing. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I love superhero role-playing games. Uh, so this is sounds like going to up my game completely. The fact that you're offering his notes, the fact that you're... I'm sorry, going back and uh, publishing his work is just, um, it's like a real beautiful thing, you know, uh, that that you would do that and that all these other authors would be on board to to work with you guys to do that and everything. So it's just, it is an amazing thing that you have put together. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your company and sure. uh, this Kickstarter? We're going to link everything you talk about over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. So uh, if you want to get the Kickstarter direct link that people can head over there, uh, or I'm sure they can go to Kickstarter and search Strike Force as well and it'll come up. But uh, yeah. what else, what else, how else can people learn more about you and the wonderful human being you are? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, specifically for Strike Force, we have a product page on Facebook. Uh, just look for us there. Uh, High Rock Press is Jason's site. Currently, is still at blackworm.com. It's, it's a company that replaced Blackworm. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, it's 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 currently at blackworm.com. That's B, uh, black w y r m for blackworm.com. It's High Rock Press. Uh, Evil Beagle Games is evilbeaglegames.com, and you can find out more about me specifically on therosswatson.com, which is my homepage. Uh, I do a blog there where I talk about uh, history and games and things that I'm into. Now, if I if I can, James, what I'd really like to do is just take a few minutes and talk about Aaron uh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, totally. Please do. See, the thing is, the guy. Aaron was one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He was so into helping other people as a novelist, as a game designer. It didn't matter. You could just walk up to him and it doesn't matter how busy he is. He would make time to sit and talk to you and, and he would be happy to share any of his uh, knowledge or, or experiences. He was just the, he was that guy who would mentor anybody. 
And he made such a big impression on on me and everybody who ever met him that uh, he he always was like Aaron Olson. You, you mentioned his name in a room, or be like, oh yeah, like, I know Aaron. It was always a very positive reaction, and it's it's just overwhelming. One of the things we're doing also, I forgot to mention this with the book is we're actually including testimonials from game designers who've been influenced by Aaron. And the list of these testimonials, if I could just read off some of these names, you'll probably please do. Please you'll probably do. recognize most of these guys, like Steve Perrin. Oh yeah. Chad Undercoffler, Matt, uh, uh, Owen Casey Stevens, Chris Avalone, who wrote a lot of the, the Fallout games and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shannon Applecline, Fred Hicks, <laughs> Jordan Wiseman, the guy you know, behind Battletech and Shadowrun, that guy. Uh, we, we've got some amazing guys like Dave Gross, who's agreed to write for our fiction section as long with, along with James uh, Cambia and Ian Harak, who better known as Lizard by some people. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we have just a really big group of guys that he's influenced over the years that are going to take a little time in the book to talk about why, how his work influenced them, how it resonated throughout the industry. So, like I said, it's, it's a piece of gaming history, this book. It's not only super useful, but it's also a, a fitting tribute to a fantastic uh, author that is no longer with us. I mean, I'd love to do this. I wish there was something I could have done for uh, some of the other guys that we've lost over the years, like Nigel Finley, right? I wish there was some way to do a Nigel Finley tribute book because I would be all about it. Um, but this is this is my opportunity and Jason's and Mike Serbrook and Sean Fannin. We're all just so honored to be a part of this uh, for so many reasons. Thank you for letting me mention that. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, no, no, absolutely. Thank you for, for bringing it uh, to everybody's attention and for coming on and, and talking about Aaron. Like I said, sounds like a great guy. This sounds like a great way to honor him as well. Uh, you know, we should all be so lucky to uh, to be so well-remembered. Um, <laughs> so, and and uh, it really is uh, getting me uh, uh, choked up over here while you're talking. So, Well, just check out those, those notes if you ever get a chance, because holy crap, I mean, the dude was a GMing machine. He, he, took, he took notes after each and every session. And he asked, like, one of the things he did that we're going to talk about in this book that's so awesome is he would stop he would, every year. He would send out to his players a little questionnaire, basically saying, "What do you? What does your character want to accomplish this year? What are his <laughs> goals? What are his you know fears? What are some things that are preying on his mind this year?" And each player would then fill that out, send it back in, and that would inform the subplots and like oh the little goodness. character moments. I know, I, and I don't know how he kept this all. <laughs> I don't know how he kept it all straight, but it's amazing. So this is the kind of stuff that just blows my mind and it makes me it makes me like go to my game and and want to up my game because I can tell that those techniques would really add to the immersion with with the right group. I I have a group of, of really creative guys who get into that stuff. That would work really well for my group. Yeah, that's I mean, I love to to be able to do that. I think that that's something I'm going to steal and start doing myself. Uh, that, one's, that one's free. You got to check out the book for the rest of them. But there's some fantastic advice in there. Yeah, and I have to say the offering of the notes as an add-on for the Kickstarter, I don't know when else you're going to get that. You that <laughs> is not. something this you got to take advantage of. Opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. So, well, thank you so much Ross for being on the show. I really really appreciate it and thank you for sharing Aaron's story with us. Everybody should go check out this awesome Strike Force Kickstarter. Uh, like we said, it's going to be linked over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com uh, or just go to Kickstarter and search for Strike Force. Thank you very much, Ross. Thank you, James. And before we go, there's a quick final segment that we've started doing every week here on the roundtable. We're highlighting a different DMs Guild product 
to give designers a chance to shine. This week's highlighted DMs Guild product is Monster Codex Underdark Enemies. It's written by one of this week's panelists, Robert Aducci. Robert is an experienced game designer, and for two stinking books, he gives you ten new monsters, including new demons, new drow, and fire giants. It's a great addition to any D&D game, especially if you're playing Rage of Demons. Plus, five of the monsters in the PDF are above a challenge rating 5, so it's great for higher level games that need a little more monster variety to challenge the players. There's a direct link to Monster Codex Underdark Enemies over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Thanks to my panelists, Bill, Robert, Travis, Alan, and Greg, and to my guest, Ross Watson. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking full adventures, monsters, magic items, backgrounds, all kinds of goodies that you should check out. And it's all free. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable.